Final hour of the program. It's Stan Richo and Abik Nazar here in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics Canada's favorite orthotics provider supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. We are through uh, the first preseason games in the NFL, uh, which the main takeaway I have is we're one step closer to week one of the NFL season. But the uh, Seahawks got a 24-13 win over the Minnesota Vikings last week. Here to join us with some of the uh, takeaways of training camp and how the Seahawks are shaping up for the season is Corbin Smith of Sports Illustrated Seattle. Thanks for this, Corbin. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for making time for us, uh, Corbin. It's uh, It's been uh, interesting. There's a lot of optimism around this uh, Seahawks team right now. They... Uh, you know, uh, I guess still a lot of people waiting to see how Geno Smith continues to develop as the quarterback of this team. But feels like right now the optimism is around the defense and how improved it could be going into this season. What did you see in the uh, first preseason game and how that's developing as we get closer to week one? As you mentioned, obviously, you know, when you get a preseason game done, the first takeaway is we're closer to the real games. But... <laughs> there are reasons to be legitimately encouraged by what this defense is going to look like at least from a schematic standpoint it feels like the run fits look a lot better than they did last year they had to there's nowhere to go but up after finishing 30th last year defending the run but the additions that they have made this offseason Jaron Reed has looked like he has become rejuvenated coming back to Seattle he wasn't bad last year in Green Bay but it was definitely not his best season he has looked looked much better since he came back to the Seahawks in camp. Draymond Jones looks every bit worth the money that they're paying him on that big free agency deal. They got a couple rookies that are intriguing, Mike Morris being one of them. He had a solid preseason game with a couple quarterback hits. So there are still some questions about the run defense, what it's going to look like when they're playing against NFL teams in the regular season. When you're facing teams like the 49ers, do they have enough beef up front without a true traditional nose tackle. Maybe Cameron Young can become that guy down the line, but right now they're going to roll with Darren Reed there. That being said, I have been encouraged by what I've seen in the practice field and in the preseason game, giving up just three yards per carry to the Vikings, albeit against backups for most of the game still. To me, that's a positive step forward based on what I've seen in the field. You mentioned the schematic changes of, of what the front is going to look like, but it's also large personnel changes. You mentioned Draymond Jones, but they've moved out a bunch of players. They've brought back, obviously, Jaron Reed, but there, there's just been a lot of changes in general. And I, I'm curious, like... How is that going to fit for chemistry reasons also while changing everything schematically? Well, I think that that would be more of a concern if you weren't bringing back some players that were already familiar with playing here. Like Jaron Reed, you can bring him in and acclimate. He played some nose tackle in his previous stint with the Seahawks. And even though they're not running the same defense that they did when they had Ken Norton Jr. as the defensive coordinator, Chris Richard there's still plenty of similarities. And so he's been able to hit the ground running coming back to Seattle. And some of the players that they brought in, players like Mike Morris, he has not played a ton of snaps inside, but he played some inside at Michigan his junior season. So he does have some experience that he can carry over there. And he's a player with a lot of upside. Draymond Jones, with his athletic ability, he played several years 
in Denver for Vic Fangio, and that is what they were modeling this defense off of. That's what Clint Hurt said before last season. And so I think they have been able to go out and get guys that even if they're newcomers to Seattle, they have played in a very similar scheme to this, and that has allowed the transition to be a smooth one. And even the rookies coming in, the young players they've got, They've got experience in similar systems, even at the college level. And so I think that that is going to help from a chemistry standpoint. And you're already seeing it on the field in practice that these guys are clicking a lot better than it looked last season. Will that carry over to the regular season? Time will tell. But again, I've been encouraged by what I've seen. And, and I'm cautiously optimistic that this group is going to be a lot better against the run, especially because number 54 is back in the middle, too. Well, and you know, a lot of the optimism comes in the in the secondary, and the one uh, takeaway that a lot of people uh, covering the team, and uh, even what we could see in in week one of the preseason here, uh, just how fast they are in, in in the secondary, isn't it? Yeah, this secondary has a chance to be. I don't want to throw out Legion of Boom comparisons because it's different style <laughs> but <you just> players, <laughs> but but this group. This group could be that good in the long run because Reek Woolen was a pro bowler last year, and he's still trying to figure out how to play corner. That's the scary thing is he's still learning the position. This is going to only be the fourth year he's been playing corner. And then Devin Witherspoon, the hamstring stuff has concerned some people, but I think the Seahawks are just being cautious with it. The practices, we got to see him out there. He's been coming up and smacking people. You can see the quickness, the coverage skills. Uh, he's every bit as good as a, as advertised the top five pick. They just got to make sure that he's ready for week one. And he's going to play on the outside. He's going to play in the slot quite a bit probably. Uh, but he's just he's a chess piece corner, and they haven't had a player like that. Richard Sherman wasn't going to slide inside and play in the slot. Devin Witherspoon has the ability to do that at an elite level just as he can on the outside. Mike Jackson, Trey Brown, I think, would start for at least 10 teams in the NFL. And there's a chance that both of them will not be in the starting lineup in week one. I would hedge bets right now that one of them will be. But if Witherspoon is going to start on the outside – then those guys are both going to be riding the pine. So that is the type of depth you have at corner and safety. Julian Love, Quandre Diggs, they're going to get Jamal Adams back here in the near future. And they've got a couple young guys they really like in Derek Reed and Jonathan Sutherland, an undrafted rookie that seems to be uh, in Pete Carroll's uh, in Pete Carroll's acclaim. He's been teaching him on the field. This just is a secondary that is loaded with young talent, and they've also got some good experienced guys at the safety position as well. So uh, the ceiling is through the roof. So I, I've got my, my skepticism about what the front looks like, but you mentioned just how fun the, the, the back end can look like. And I think when you isolate them, look, they see it and believe it with the front, I, I get that. But I think when you look at the total philosophy of the team here, Corbin, is this offense can be really special, and if they start putting up points, does that flip the game script to – force teams to put the ball in towards the secondary and allow the Seahawks to play more personnel that fit what they have. And so some of my concerns get alleviated because it looks like having this level of talent in the secondary is really going to cater well to how the games could go, considering how special the offense could be. Yeah, it clearly looks like they are constructing this roster on defense. When you look at the players they brought in, like a Draymond Jones, who is a much better run defender than I think is advertised, but he's an elite pass rusher from the interior, one of mm -hmm. only four defensive tackles to have at least five and a half sacks each of the last three years. So he has consistently been really good at getting after the quarterback. You're bringing in players like that that can create havoc 
as pass rushers, and you're hoping you're in a lot of situations where teams are trying to play catch-up because your offense is elite. Mm -hmm. And then that does play into the fact that you've got all that talent in the secondary. You've got all these young, athletic edge rushers that you're fired up about. You can really turn those guys loose if you are able to get a bunch of points on the board early and that's really what I think they're building this football team to do. But they know they have to be better against the run. As Clint Hurd has said, uh, if you want to have fun rushing the passer, you've got to earn it. And last year, they did not do that with their run defense. So that still is a big issue that we've yet to see what it's going to look like until we get to the regular season. But they look encouraging to this point from that standpoint. If if we get to the end of the season and we're looking at sack totals, and I I don't need specific numbers, but just who are who are the top five guys in this defense? And is Jamal Adams in there? Is that another linebacker? Like when you're looking at who the top five guys are uh, that end up with the most sacks on the Seahawks, who stands out for you? I still think Daryl Taylor, even though I'm not sure he's going to be starting for this football team. I think Boye Mafe is staking a claim to that right now. But I still think Daryl Taylor, in terms of being a pure pass rusher, is the best one that the Seahawks have. They get him back from the shoulder injury. He'll probably be back in the near future. It sounds like he's getting close to being ready to practice again. But he is their best edge rusher. He has the most juice. I think he is going to lead the team in sacks, and I expect Uchenna Nuosu is not going to be far behind, very similar to last year. Nuosu has had a very good camp and looks like he's ready to earn the money that the Seahawks just paid him on that big extension. After that, I think it gets a little bit interesting because Boye Mafe only had three sacks last year, but if you've watched him on the field, including that preseason game, uh, he has made a huge jump in the pass rushing department. So I would probably say that he's probably that next favorite to get you some sacks. And I think Draymond Jones, I mentioned, he's been as good as anybody getting after the quarterback. And with the other pieces they have around him, I think he's got a chance to be in that six, seven, maybe even eight sack range and be in that top three, top four mix. But from there, you know, Jamal Adams is the real wild card because mm-hmm. we got to see him on the field healthy and then we got to see how they plan to use him. I've got to remember the last season he played more than 10 games he didn't get any sacks because they weren't using him much in that capacity. I'm curious to see what it's going to look like when they get it back on the field and how they're going to deploy him in this defense. But I would say that Daryl Taylor, Boy Mafe, and Draymond Jones are probably the three safest bets if you're wanting to look at top back guys for this football team. So on the offensive side of the ball, you know, I guess uh, there's still a, a hesitation from some to believe in what Geno Smith and the Seahawks were able to do last year. Um, can he repeat that? And, and is there steps he can take to be even more efficient than he was a year ago? I think he absolutely can repeat the numbers that he had, just in part because of the supporting cast that they still have around him. You look at all the returning quarterbacks that were starters last year, you can make an argument that there isn't a QB in the league that has had a supporting cast improved more than what Geno Smith has. They got Jackson Smith and Jigba in the first round. I think the interior offensive line is going to be significantly better, and it doesn't matter which guy wins the center job. I think both of them are going to be upgrades over Austin Blythe. Phil Haynes is the better guard at right guard last year compared to Gabe Jackson and letting him be the guy this year. He is going to be an upgrade at that spot as well. The tackles are going to be in year two with a chance to really uh, improve upon their strong rookie seasons. And so I think when you put all those pieces together, the the blend of Walker and Charbonnet in the backfield, that this team has a chance to 
be a top three offense. They've got all this talent around Geno, and he just looks even more confident in the practice field than he did a year ago. You put all those things together, being in Shane Waldron's offense for a third season, second year as a starter, and I have a feeling that he can get to those numbers if not surpass them this year with all the things that are around him supporting cast-wise. It's all about JSN, though. Uh, Jackson, Smith, and Jigba, uh, preseason week one, uh, living up to the hype. Yeah, he's been uh, he's just been one practice after another, just stacking outstanding days, highlight reel catches, one handed grabs, and even though he only had three catches for twenty five yards in the preseason opener, you got to see the biggest catch, what he can do working from the slot, the magic that he brings to the table as a route runner, the ability to create after the catch, putting all that together with the weapons they already have. He didn't have DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett on the field with him in that game. In the regular season, there's going to be a lot less pressure on him. Teams aren't going to be able to put a lot of attention towards him because of those other two receivers, and he just brings a different skill set to the table. And so he's really the difference maker here that could help Geno Smith further elevate his game this year. You know, uh, kind of interesting to see how the, the run game sort of uh, shakes out with Ken Walker and, and Charbonnet. But I, I'm curious with, with Ken Walker, you know, in, in his sophomore season, how much more does he have to give? Can we see him be more of a weapon in the pass game? Is, is there different ways that they can get the most out of that talent? Yeah, I think that the passing game is probably where they would lean the most there because that's not something he was asked to do a lot in college, especially at Michigan State. They didn't use their running backs much in the passing game, and, and they were a run-first team. But he has shown the ability to be a dynamic receiver. He's got soft hands. You can move him around a little bit. He's not going to be a player like a Kenny McIntosh that's going to be running routes from the slot. He's not that kind of player. But he's somebody that you can get the football out to him quick, do some dump-offs, and that is a way that you can get that home-run hitting ability of his utilized in a different way because I think that's obviously the big difference between him and Charbonnet. Charbonnet is more of that between the tackles, I'm going to plow over guys type runner isn't going to have as many hit and miss type situations where he gets hit in the backfield, more of a downhill threat. Whereas Ken Walker, the third, he is going to get tackled for loss sometimes, but when he hits, he has a chance to go the distance in a way that few running backs in the league do. So if you can get that type of a playmaker, the ball in the passing game, especially with all the other weapons they have around them, then that is a chance to be something that takes a big step forward for him and just gives another dimension to this offense. Hey, Corbin, really appreciate the time. Thanks for this. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, there's Corbin Smith covering the uh, Seahawks with Sports Illustrated. And uh, I don't know, the, the hype seems real around uh, the Seahawks right now, Bick. I was, uh, <laughs> as, as I mentioned, I was down mm-hmm. in Seattle for that first preseason game. I, uh, I don't, you know, I didn't go to the game. I don't want my first Seahawks game to be a preseason game, to be honest with you. Chills, you're a diehard, though. You're like, oh, I went to a preseason game. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, but in any case, while I was listening to Cairo down there, the Seahawks radio station, um, man, uh, the hype is real about the the defense and what it could look like. You know, Corbin's not the only one to start making the comparisons or bringing up the Legion of Boom. and Needs a new name. Hinting at – Maybe there's potential for this group of players to have that sort of ceiling, at least. The thing is, you would kind of hope it does. They've invested a so lot. So much into it, yeah. Like, Jamal Adams trade. Yeah. 
top five pick. A lot of draft picks in there. Yeah. Quandre Diggs, that's a yeah, big investment too. Well, I mean, fifth. I think they acquired him for a fifth rounder, but a contract. Julian Love, a free agent signing. So there's been some investment uh, in there, and you'd expect it to uh, return on investment <laughs> for your, your secondary to look good. But all the pieces fit. Yeah. And all the pieces are kind of thriving. We didn't even ask him about Kobe Bryant. Yes. Who was kind of the, the darling with a big oh, hit. Oh, he was and, and all the rage after, after game one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kobe Bryant. So... And again, that's why I think it plays well with what they're doing. You can't solve all the problems, right? You can't have the star-studded defensive line with a pairing of a Legion of Boom unless you have the, the rookie QB contract like they did with Russell Wilson back in the day, right? But the way this is setting up, I like the way that they're trying to solve the problems. And, you know, they could have went into the draft and said, you know, let's, let's go get a defensive lineman here at pick 20 or yeah. we can go get Jackson Smith and Jigba, load up our offense, and now, if we're up 10 early, teams going to start throwing on us. Mm-hmm. And if we can slow the game down because of our coverage, here's some coverage sacks from a Draymond Jones or a Boy Mafe. And I think they're solving the problem correctly. I don't um, – I'm optimistic, but I, I don't know if they're – I'm ready to say that they're the best team in the NFC West sort of thing. But it should be a good fight in the NFC West between San Francisco and Seattle. This I, year. I'd like to see what happens uh, with the quarterback situation in, in, in San, San Fran. Fran. It looks obvious that it's Brock Purdy's job, yes. and we'll get into this in a second here, but like he's not having a good training camp. He's no. coming off a huge injury. You're coming off Tommy John, and can you get right back up and in there and be as good as you were last mm-hmm. year? But so even then, okay, like, if it goes well, yeah. okay, Brock Purdy's a starter. Like, no offense. Like, I'm not too terrified of Brock Purdy. Yeah. <laughs> It's true, like but he, it, he's, he's, the I, overall I, roster is what you're I, I, afraid I, of. I'm more the, scared of Kyle Shanahan than I am of Brock Purdy. Yes. And the whole point of why they went out and got Trey Lance was, hey, sometimes Kyle Shanahan's going to be wrong. Mm-hmm. Can you run with your legs? Can you create something outside of the structure we're creating? Yeah. Be dynamic. Yeah. Well, Brock Purdy doesn't really do that. Like He's good on rollouts and that sort of stuff, but that's still within the structure of what Kyle Shanahan creates. I it's a good team though they'll win eleven games, but as far as like winning championships, is Brock Purdy going to win you a championship? I don't know. Got to have your doubts. Uh, so uh, we thought up a new uh, segment here for the People's Show. Okay, we only because, thought it up because I didn't even know this existed until today, and you're like, "Hey, I can't believe you didn't even know that the airplane airplane lady was a thing." I no. Vic, concept. did you know about the airplane lady? Is this the girl that was freaking out on the plane? Yes. Recently? <laughs> yeah, I have no lady. idea. The fake person? Well, today she revealed herself, and she started a YouTube channel at the same time, so big shock there. <laughs> she knew what she was doing. Yeah. Great marketing. No wonder you waited a month while people were just sort of speculating what exactly went on uh, with the airplane lady. Uh, in any case, um, because like I- I'm watching and I'm reading about NFL preseason and I've sort of had this realization, like, okay, NFL preseason is now just people trying to figure out what everything means for their fantasy drafts. And it's been that way for a couple of years now, I guess. But to the point where you're looking at how teams are setting up, what formations they're using. Oh, the Bills were using more two tight end sets in week one. That must mean they're going to get more Dalton Kincaid going through this year. So maybe he is worth drafting, even though we know not to draft rookie tight ends. Like the, everything we read about the NFL is about 
uh, fantasy, and that's continued into preseason now to the point where, oh, it doesn't necessarily not matter because you need to see or you might get a hint about how some players might get used by their teams. And ultimately, that's what the preseason is about for most people now. How is it going to affect my fantasy team? Facts only. Believe it or not, that's the segment. Because if you've seen the airplane video, you know that Believe it or not, is sort of the big part of the video. So this is the segment. We think of a topic, and we either choose to believe it, believe it. or not. Cannot believe it. <laughs> so we can either believe it or cannot believe it. It's one of the more ridiculous things we've done. <laughs> we've worked Airplane Lady into the show. Yeah. All right. Uh, All right, so week one of the NFL preseason in the books. Uh, Believe it or not, Russell Wilson still sucks. I, oh, man. (laughs) I want to have some semblance of hope because it went so bad. Everything about Russell Wilson, like everything that he was bad at last year, and you're like, hey, Sean Payton's going to fix everything. I don't know. He was still bad at all the same things. In week one of the preseason, holding on to the ball too long, can't evade the pressure the way that he used to, still can't throw over the middle, like missing wide open receivers, just not seeing them. This might be the closest thing to like Alec Manoa. I was like, someone had had a peak and it's just gone. Just completely gone. So I still want to believe. Oh. But you? Oh, I, I, Russell Wilson still sucks. I believe that. Believe it. Oh, no. Yeah. Going down is one of the worst trades ever. <laughs> one of the worst trades, one of the worst contracts ever, yeah. too. Uh, all right. I'm going with Trey Lance. Uh, I, I've been well documented on the station of, of, of how much I uh, yeah. really like and, and bought into the hype of Trey Lance. And if you look at the stats, 10 for 15, 112 yards, one TD. Yes. Uh, the one TD, though, he basically threw it to the Raiders. Yes. Bobbled the interception. Somehow, tip drill right to Ross Dwelly. And it was a touchdown. Ends up a touchdown. Touchdown. Uh, but you know what? I'm still going to believe it. Believe it. Here's the thing. That offensive line was trash. It was the second unit. He has, hasn't played. He's played a game and a half in three years, basically. Yes. The offensive line, the f- first couple of sacks, he had no chance. Mm-hmm. Like, no chance. So he's still getting used to game reps. Mm-hmm. And Kyle Shanahan today even admitted he got better as the game went along. Now, the, the the touchdown looks a bit odd, but he made a couple of good throws. This dude, just more than anything, just needs reps. Yep. Just needs reps. And he's not going to get it in San Francisco, and I want to see a trade. Is, is is there a point where he's just lost too much development time? Oh, we're, we're already past that stage. Yeah. But the thing is, like, I'm looking at Geno. It's mm-hmm. like, dude, you can be on the shelf for eight years and like pop up, and here we go. <laughs> this dude just needs like stability right now. Yes, he's in a three QB competition. He needs to go somewhere, be a backup for a couple of years, get to know a system, and then get or an even opportunity. Or be a starter, like yeah. just maybe struggle in Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. Whatever. There, there's spots across the league that I think this is. It, 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 you think he's a better option than Baker Mayfield? I'd rather fail with Trey Lance than fail with Baker Mayfield. That's fair. That's totally fair. And uh, the Niners, um, so, like... Like, they seem intent. They broke philosophy for one 
trade and draft pick. Yes. And then they find Brock Purdy and like, you know what, we're fine. <laughs> so, so, so just move off the guy now. Yeah. Unless this is a real competition and he can actually win and you want to go back to that. But it just seems obvious that they're going to stick with Brock Purdy. I wonder if they even see more upside in Sam Darnold at this point. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the NFL, we know how much running quarterbacks have had success mm-hmm. in the NFL lately, and it continues to be a trend. So I wonder uh, if Trey, Trey Lance does get another chance, and I hope that he does get a chance somewhere else. Speaking of running quarterbacks, uh, the hype train on Justin Fields continues to grow, and he is right now and if everybody's favorite candidate to have a massive season and be the next big breakout player in the National Football League. We saw it last year at different points, all the run, like the all that he brought to the run game, all that he brought to your respective fantasy teams, winning leagues and stuff with his legs. But he was piss poor as a passer. And that is something I still can't get out of my mind. So, believe it or not, Justin Fields being the NFL's next great quarterback, I'm still choosing to not believe it. I cannot believe it yet. Cannot believe it. No, I cannot. <laughs> Jacob and Port Rudy texting him. What did you spend on the budget for this new segment? Clearly not enough <laughs> if that's the sound bites you're including. Look, we concocted this. 14 minutes before the show. This is the Wild West in yes. the summer, okay? I, I heard the airplane lady rant for the first time <laughs> 25 minutes before the show. And I was like, you know what we should do? We should clip this and use this. So this is, we spent nothing on this. Yes. Believe it. <laughs> believe it, we spent nothing on it. And uh, you can all right. clearly believe it. Justin Fields, I know they, you know, they helped him out. They've added some pieces around him, and that's always something that you want to see. What was a more of a Fugazi? Trey Lance's touchdown or Justin Fields' two touchdowns? Right. They were both just like short passes that end up going Yahtzee, like for, for long tutties. Like, can we relax that he threw for 129 yards and two scores? Like all you had to do was watch the highlights and see it wasn't that impressive. So relax a little bit. The efficiency is through the roof though. On those passes. <laughs> uh, all right. I, I, I want to like Justin Fields and believe, but I have to see a lot more in the past game than what we saw at any point last year. That's, that's all I'm saying before I believe it. You said watch those highlights. Mm-hmm. There's only one highlight from this weekend that was worth watching. What was it? Nathan Rourke. <laughs> that was the highlight of the preseason. Yeah. And we're doing this, believe it or not. And I've said, hey, he chose, I think, the perfect spot. I know a lot of people are like, hey, you're never going to be a starter there. Dude, this is about sustaining a career. Yes. Development time. All that sort of stuff. I love that he chose Jacksonville. Stable now with Doug Peterson there. Trevor Lawrence, obviously. But you're gonna have. They're also they're like the sexy one of the sexiest teams this offseason. They had that big comeback in the playoffs. It's like Detroit and Jacksonville are the AFC NFC sexy teams this year. So a lot of eyes on Jacksonville, and he goes out and puts this awesome play on, breaking four tackles. Yeah, being dragged down, still sets his feet, finds his target, whips it down the sideline, gets a touchdown. I know a lot of BC Lions fans are like, yeah, that's what he does. (laughs) But we're still talking about, hey, what's he going to be making this NFL progression? I'm believing it. Believe it. Let's go. Believing it. I I think everything this guy has done in this process here has been correct and Uh, and got a chance to show out on week one. I I love that uh, with with Nathan Rourke. You know, people are always being like, well, you got to choose or what you got to choose. And... 
you know, this is such a big decision for Nathan Rourke, but, you know, to end up as a backup quarterback in the National Football League is still a very uh, profitable <laughs> adventure, much mm-hmm. more profitable than even being the star on a CFL team, as we know. And how you can sustain a career, well, it's going to take some time for Nathan that, Rourke to prove himself. That play, man, that puts you on the map. That puts you on the map. You have a highlight reel play like that, now teams know about you. Now teams know who Nathan Rourke is, uh, if they hadn't already. Uh, all right. We'll continue talking a little bit of NFL and get into the EPL as well. The other football, uh, the real football. I shouldn't have done that. Uh, Final segment of the People Show coming up next on Sports at 650. Final segment of the People Show. Believe it or not, it is the final segment. Um, appreciate your texts on uh, the Believe It or Not segment. We will uh, not endeavor to increase the production value of <laughs> said segment. <laughs> um, 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. I uh, I mean, we got this text. Hang on. Can I just address this one from, okay. from from the last segment? Okay. Um, this text: the Seahawks still have Geno Smith mm-hmm. and no pass rush. You guys are delusional homers if you think Seahawks have a chance against the Niners. Here's the thing: we clearly said like it's still the Niners' division. Yes, I st- I clearly stated the Niners yes. are still the favorite, but expect it to be more of a battle. And it's not like they're playing against each other for 17 times. No, we're talking about for the division. Mm-hmm. There's a chance we're talking about an 11-win 49ers team, a 10-win Seahawks team. Yeah. That's pretty close. But if they meet in the playoffs and the two games are going to play this season, I'm willing to bet the 49ers are going to be favorites in both games. Yeah. But it's not like they play together for 17 games. And you have to remember, Vic, Brock Purdy has never lost an NFL regular season game. So I've heard that before. <laughs> Who are the teams he played against, too? Niners like a, are going to go 17 A, a floundering um, Tampa team. Yeah. Uh, a Miami Dolphin. He played the Dolphins? Yep. Uh, and then he played the Commanders, the Raiders, and the Cardinals. Not exactly. Like, we're talking about, like, five teams that, four teams that picked in the top five right there. Yeah. Or top ten, sorry. And, look, <laughs> You know, he looked great last year. A lot of quarterbacks can do a lot in Kyle Shanahan's offense. I expect the Niners to be very good again mm-hmm. this year. So, it's like, there's a reason why they have, like, I think the fifth best Super Bowl odds, and we still don't know who the quarterback is. Um, <laughs> they've, they've got an incredibly talented roster, probably the best in the NFC from top to bottom. But uh, Seahawks' roster is developing pretty well. Mm-hmm. And look, I, I think. There's a lot of people that, you know, cover the team pretty closely that seem to think Gino's going to be just fine this year. It's just hard not to have some reservations about Gino Smith still for me. Do you have more reservations about Gino or Brock Purdy? Probably Brock Purdy. 
Like he's played six games and coming like he was Mr. Irrelevant. Like how often do we see that player become anything, especially a quarterback? And he's just coming off Tommy John surgery. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, some baseball pitchers come back from Tommy John surgery and they could throw the ball harder. So, you know, hey, I'm wound a little bit tighter. I'm good to go. I can really let it loose, but we'll see with Brock Purdy. Uh, there's there's definitely a question mark there. Um, and I think more than anything, it'll limit the upside of the Niners than anything else. Uh, all right. So we'll close on that with the NFL and get to the Premier League. Match day one. I finally calmed down. I, I, I can finally rationally talk about what happened this weekend. Is in the books. Um, seventy fifth minute winner. Like what? What? What is happening? I don't know. Manchester United looked awful all day long against a club that fired their manager. Yeah. Or sorry, they mutually parted ways. Yes. A week ago, <laughs> a, a a club in disarray. Yes. Wolves. And it was it was one nil seventy sixth minute winner, which included a VAR check and should have been pen on pen in in extra time. Yes. I mean, Wolves has been, you know, kind of going downhill ever since they moved on from Espirito Santo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> from oh, the Holy Spirit. Three years ago? Yes. So, okay, you don't have to be perfect in on match day one. I'm not going to, you know, dock you too many points for not being at your best for the first game, for the first match day of the season, but... It it just still kind of feels thin with Manchester United compared to especially the juggernauts of the Premier League. Mm -hmm. Uh, Manchester City is in their own tier. Everybody is trying to catch them. We know that. But even with Arsenal, like the additions they've made through the course of the offseason, you know, I feel pretty good that they're going to be a top four team again this year. And they've added on what they started to build last year. There's Liverpool who I still have my doubts, but there's still a lot there. And if Mo Salah finds previous form, then his pass on the Luis Diaz goal was out of this world, just from another planet. Right. So like the, the, the level is still there for Mo Salah. Is he the best player in the Premier League as he was a couple of years ago? Maybe not, but he's still a damn good one. You know, United, I'm just I'm looking for that difference maker player. And I don't know if I necessarily see it right now. Babe. Now, I will say, in a way, like an easy way to judge this is substitute impact. Yes. And just when you see the board go up, it's like, hey, do you have faith that this is actually a good move? So Manchester City makes changes, and you're like, "Oh, this guy's Josco Gavordio is coming off the bench." Yes, it's like it's like that. De- that's decent. Now, mind you, they're up three 0 against Burnley. You yeah. have to make huge changes, but Curtis Jones comes off the bench for Liverpool. Mm-hmm. He's played some matches at, at the EPL level. Darwin Nunez comes off the bench, played some matches. They try out Harvey Elliott, someone with some high skill, in-house product as well, and you can see like, okay, these kind of make some sense here. Christian Eriksen comes off the bench. It's like, look, I've seen this movie. Like, he's not better than he was eight seasons ago. Yeah. But he's a a fine footballer. Yes. Jaden Sancho comes off the bench. And even you said to me, it's like, it, it really hasn't worked out for him. No. 
Now, he came on, provided a spark, was a contributing factor in, in flipping that result. But can't pretend that he didn't take three months off last season. Yeah. And he's got a lot to do to restore uh, some credibility, not just amongst Man United fans, but even to get back into the England fold. And that's where it's like, it really sticks out. The other options on the bench today, Anthony Martial, who can't play more than an hour because he gets hurt, and Harry Maguire. Yeah. It's it's like that bit's lacking still. Now, Rasmus Hoyland uh, is still dealing with an injury, but it's, it's like, you, you look at that and there's still something left to be desired. Uh, Chelsea, like it's Mudrick. It's like, that's still something, What what is it there? Uh, th- they've got a couple of players, but yeah, there's some depth issues that you look at that Arsenal brought on Trossard and it's just like just one other edge piece. Yep. Like you, you want 14 guys basically, right? In this league, you kind of need it, right? And United you know, choosing to spend a lot of their budget on a fairly unproven striker is something that I am going to have questions about through the course of the season. Now, you know, it's a little bit different with Manchester City, who are the champions. They seemingly win this title almost every year now, and it's theirs to lose, and we know that going into pretty much every Premier League season. They are built the best. They buy the best. They are the most well-coached. I mean, there's just not a lot of holes. Mm-hmm. And when you have Erling Holland, who's just – Literally from another planet. Like, I don't know. You can't build a better soccer player in a lab He's, than Erling Holland, And he showed it again with two more goals. In and, and, and the, the second goal, just day. like, he's not yeah. even looking at the net. <laughs> just turns and pivots and fires the top corner. Like, he, he he's OV for soccer. Yes. I, I've not seen anyone this possessed to want to score goals. And he does it every single week. They have such an easy schedule for the first seven match days that he might have better than two goals a game. It's the same conversation we started last year. Yeah. Like, I remember we sat at this desk, me and Izzy, and we're like, is he going to score 60 goals this year? Because <laughs> it was obscene to start the year. Yes. And they just come off Burnley. Uh, who do they play next? They play Fulham, West Ham, Nottingham Forest, Wolves. And then Arsenal. It's the kind of numbers that Messi and Ronaldo were mm-hmm. sort of putting up in their La Liga heyday. Oh, sorry. They also play Sheffield United Yeah, uh, in there as well. Like, they don't really have a all that difficult of a schedule to start the season. And, you oh, know. Uh, they do play Newcastle next. Is that? That's their toughest match yeah. of the first seven Who match days. looked impressive? They did. And they should with the amount of money they're pumping into that team. 5-1 win over Aston Villa, who's also supposed to be pretty good this year. They looked a bit rough. Yeah. Uh, big shout out to uh, uh, Alex, e- Alex Ishak. Yep. Who looks like he's taking a step. Um, another big time striker. A scary player. It's like, oh, th- th- there's some development here. Starting to, 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 to show the fruits of that development. Yeah. I, uh, I kind of wish, um, I want to hear Sat's take on Chelsea Liverpool. Chelsea Liverpool. They finished one one. It was the biggest match of the weekend. That was a fun match. It was. Now, okay, I was I was actually thinking about that match while watching Manchester United today, because there was a lot of chances for Wolves that they just didn't convert. Mm-hmm. United were a bit open. Onana made a few saves. Yes. So the goalie purchase seems to be working out. Already working out, even though he should have been called for a pen. Yes. But nevertheless, 
they weren't necessarily creative on the attacking front. Chelsea and Liverpool, that first half, both of them were open. Yeah. Both of them were like, we haven't made our purchase of our defensive midfielder yet. And we can play this a bit looser. Like, Chilwell was playing, he was basically a, a forward. <laughs> they were both so open, and yet they were still both creating. And I was like, at, at least you're creating offense despite giving up some, too. Mm-hmm. It calmed down in the second half, picked up late. But there was still, like, at least you're creating. If I'm coming out of this weekend, I'm, I'm feeling okay if you're a Chelsea or Liverpool fan. Mm-hmm. I know it's a draw. Other teams won. Long season. But at least you're creating. I'd be more worried if I was a Man United fan. You'd be more worried. Okay, so you are a Man United fan. I'm just saying for everyone else. And you like, are. I, I think Chelsea and Liverpool are more impressive than Manchester United. Chelsea, there's a lot of pieces there um, that I'm still sort of curious how it all works. Mm-hmm. Uh, Benny from the Mox is a diehard copite since birth. I am pretty upset that they that Liverpool didn't get Caicedo or Lavia, but in the end, they are not worth close to 175 million quid. And our board just refused to tap up representatives and pay wages on top. Fenway sports group showed they will spend this window, which makes me happy enough. And we will still have time to find some beast in that six role. That's Benny from the mocks. That's true. The problem is once the season starts, like I'm, I'm assuming only because this happens to Man United is like, there's a, deadline tax here like anthony should have cost 50 ends up costing 80 yeah once you get to the stage and now that's been so public that you failed on two transfers mm-hmm. it's not gonna get any easier it's not gonna get any easier they're gonna have to pay up for somebody when you're a premier league team and everybody else knows you got money they sort of hold out a little bit uh, because they know that you're going to eventually pay the price but like liverpool i think liverpool will be a lot better than they were a season ago chelsea What's going to help Chelsea is not having the same rigorous European schedule that some other teams mm-hmm. are going to have. And that always, in the end, can sort of help out. But I don't know what you're doing spending nearly $300 million on two defensive midfielders. <laughs> like, it's great, but you got to pay for goals at some point, no? Like, who's who's scoring your goals, Chelsea? Nico Jackson looked all right. I guess. But yes, it's it's still going to be a cause for concern. This has been their problem for how long now? Post Drogba, yeah. Am I missing a striker in there? So somewhere from Chelsea. I mean, yeah, they had Lukaku and no, I'm not even counting that. You know, they went to the Champions League final where Kai Havertz, but like they have Havertz, yeah. The bringing back Lukaku and Werner didn't work out. Werner didn't work out. Like every number nine they've tried to sign has fell flat on his face. I'm still curious where they're finding that player. A uh, big shout out to Krez from Coquitlam texting into the inbox, uh, who told us this. I don't know if we read the text last last week, but says uh, you only saw a snippet. But uh, Musa Diaby for Villa going to be the signing of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, he winds up scoring the lone goal in a five-one loss, but a well-taken goal. Uh, they also signed Nicolo Zaniolo today, Italian player. Premier League money is just different, man. Premier League money is just different. Uh, I think Zaniolo is – I don't know if he's got any knees left after all the uh, surgeries he's had, but a very promising player mm-hmm. uh, none, nonetheless. So there's there's something on that front. All right, so who, have you changed your – again, it's one match, but have you changed your impression of any clubs after uh, match day one? 
So it's hard to not think that this league is already decided with Manchester City. But my biggest takeaway, I think, is with Newcastle. And I'm wondering just how good they could be this year. You know, they've added so much. They have so much money to spend. I think this is a top four team. That was a year. demolition job. Yeah. Too. Of a really it, good Villa team. It's not as if it was like 1-1, one, one, late goal to edge it, and then you just piled on a bunch at the end. Yeah. It was goal early, equalizer early, yeah, and then went into the half leading. One-way traffic. And then second half was just like Ishak again, Wilson, uh, Harvey Barnes. They were Barnes. creating so yeah. much. It was a lot. Against a team that's supposed to be stout. Yes. It's supposed to be difficult to break down Villa. And it wasn't necessarily for Newcastle. They were they were incredible. And, of course, you know, I, I I don't have a Premier League team, but it's hard not to cheer for Brighton and Hove Albion because they run their squad like it's football manager. They just continue this, like, trend of turning over players for That's a the crazy move. amount of profit and then always seem to – Stay exactly where they are in the table. The thing is, spending four and a half million dollars on a midfielder and selling them for a hundred and fifteen. <laughs> what can you buy with that? Yeah, it's what, like all. Let's get the finest facilities. Yes. What what's what's our ROI on this? It's ridiculous. And they do this every year with yeah. a player, right? And they did it uh, again with Moses Caicedo and still beat uh, beat up Luton four one. I mean, that's a nice way to start. Uh, the season though getting Luton, uh, Luton. Yeah. that's why I had three Brighton players in my starting <laughs> yeah, fantasy so Premier I. League lineup which by the way uh, first place after okay, uh, match day go. one I think Vic's in last place I'm lying over absolutely here. not <laughs> Dom's in last place is Dom in last place sounds about right it's Dom or Izzy one of the two I just know I'm just like top 10,000 in Canada or something like that no big deal do you have a takeaway on uh, anybody in the Prem uh no like Newcastle was the one like I thought they looked the the sharpest. Um, I was a little surprised Crystal Palace. I, I I'm just like they've had some changeover especially up front. I'm a little bit worried about what that's gonna look like, but mm-hmm. they get one uh, against Sheffield United. Uh, you know what team? I, I said this on Friday, and uh, Victor kind of laughed at me. I thought Everton looked actually pretty good. I yeah. thought I thought I thought they were hard luck losers mm-hmm. uh, against Fulham. But I thought they looked pretty good. Yeah, it uh, it should be a pretty good Premier League season. You know, um, there's always interesting uh, storylines that play out along mm-hmm. the way that are, are more just beyond the who's going to win the title. Six fifty, six fifty, Spurs all the way. Dark horse of the EPL from Peggy. Peggy, I mean, got to get past uh, Brentford. <laughs> it's going to be a long season for Spurs. Like they'll be fine. But they're probably finishing between five and eight. Maybe even lower. Woo! Uh, all right. That's going to do it for the People's Show today. We're back tomorrow. One to four, is it tomorrow? I think so, yeah. Uh, one to four. We're a little bit all over the place all week long, but still be giving you some People's Show content throughout the course of the week. Dan Richo, Bick Nazar, producer Vic and Lena. Appreciate you, the listener, here on Sportsnet 650.